Good morning. Welcome to Brothers at Breakfast. I'm here with my friend and colleague Ian, as usual, Hello. and we're joined today by a special guest named Jesse. And uh, Jesse maintains apologetic content. He's an advocate for the Word Bible. I believe his website is basicallybiblical.com. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Okay, good. We want to make sure people will check out uh, your stuff here on, uh, well, uh, let me give you the opportunity to tell yourself a little bit about us and where you are and how people can find you. Okay, so uh, the I do have the basicallybiblical.com. You can go there. That's kind of a, a central hub for everything, but uh, we're putting content on um, YouTube, on uh, Rumble, Spotify, Apple Podcast. You can find all of those we should have content up on. And then our website's kind of the, the central focus for that. Um, aside from the content we put up on on those platforms as, as podcasts, uh, I do occasionally like to put up some articles, um, blog-type articles on the website. Um, but it's a lot of just discipleship, um, apologetic stuff, uh, trying to uh, meet people where they're at, especially new believers or um, maybe some people that are on the fence about uh christianity or or god in general cool i like the theme jesse um one of the things i'd like to let you know about just how we run this podcast and why we do it is um we we began many years ago nick and i meeting uh on you know a weekly basis often or at least a couple times a month doing um just a breakfast once a week just to share the faith and uh you know share coffee pancakes and pray together, talk over what's going on in our lives, and just see how God was working with us. And uh, along the way, just to learn about, you know, the amazing things that God was doing. And uh, what what I found so fascinating was, um, although Nick was newer in the faith than I was, he was so quickly growing in his faith and, and seeing God at work in his life, and in some ways surpassing me in, you know, his prayer life and and his commitment to the lord and all these different things and just realizing wow I, I need this fellowship with a brother who is challenging me to grow without even realizing it right and so the things we shared along the way we we realized um were, were great opportunities um for personal growth but also to share with other people within each of our you know friendship groups and whatnot and occasionally we would invite other people and so uh, all of that was a great time, you know, sitting in, in the pre-COVID world back in the day when we lived close to each other and, uh, you know, learning the faith together. And so as, you know, things have changed and we're now more remote, uh, we're now sharing this with people from other walks of life, uh, you know, from elsewhere that we're meeting and really giving them a chance to, to also share with us how God's at work in their lives and then hopefully do the same, uh, you know. So it's really just to build up ourselves in the faith but also to give, uh, you know, a chance for you to express how God's at work and what you're seeing him do, uh, you know, in your world today. Yeah, that sounds real awesome. life, real life real, testimony, real life um, stuff. Exactly. When I was reviewing uh, our stuff and uh, Jesse's stuff, uh, all the good stuff, all the media, all the articles and everything, uh, I came across a similarity that both of you have. And because of our, our target audiences, which are uh, new believers, uh, new to the new to the faith, and people that feel alienated from uh, current culture, church practices. Uh, we want to reach all those, and both of you guys discussed what to me is the most important issue: is how do you pick what version of the Bible to read? Hmm. And that's a, I wanted that's a to great question. I, I'll I, tell you I what wanted I'm, to. 
I'm going to let you take that one, Jesse, and, and let's yeah. okay. uh, let's hear your thoughts on it. Um, so, I my my opinion on this has changed uh, um, recently, maybe within the last like two years, three years. Um, I used to um, be very, very much uh, NASB was really the only translation that I would read. Um, now like i said within the last like three years my opinions changed a little bit and a lot of it's been from um i've listened to a lot of the people that that have actually been on the teams that are doing these translations so like the the esv the niv the nasb the um i mean any of them <laughs> the uh, three letters that you want to throw out right. um and uh really i i don't have too much of an issue with um too many translations specifically um the only one that i really try to uh maybe shield people from or, or push people away from would be um the uh the passion translation uh i do think there's some some problematic things with it hmm. um as far as most other translations even like the the message by eugene peterson it I don't have an issue with somebody reading it, but I would definitely It's really tell more them, of a paraphrase anyway, yeah, right? Yeah. I don't think anybody treats it as an authoritative translation. No, and that's even, um, I, I was kind of surprised to find out uh, Eugene Peterson, when, when he was still alive, um, there's actually a story of, of him attending a church and the pastor used the message from the pulpit and he just like got sick mm -hmm. to his stomach. He's like, no, that's not what that's for. Um, and so he wow. even, you know, knew like, this is this is more for a casual read to um yeah. to maybe kind of make you think about things differently um but it's funny because i know of a guy who um he got saved by reading the message yeah grown up in church his whole life his father had been a pastor and he got saved by reading the message and uh it was the one thing that actually motivated him to eventually go into ministry himself and um, was the ability that that the message showed him that it's possible to take the truth and present it in a way that's more understandable right and that's where um to me the message i kind of see it as a uh, you know paul saying i've become all things to all men so by all means some right. might be saved um, yeah. so i would i would say you know if if someone has trouble reading a bible um and you want to start off on the message start off on the message um and then eventually I think more often than not, that's going to, that's going to start kind of a hunger in them to should, learn yeah. more yeah. and then they can graduate on to some, some other translations. I actually think it's best to not stick with just one. Um, typically when I'm, when I'm doing a, a study or a deep dive or something like that, I will typically look at um, King James. I'll look at the NASB. I will look at the ESV. And I will look at the NIV. Um, mm -hmm. Those are my typically my four go tos. I'll occasionally um, I'll throw some other ones in there. I've 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 looked at the Amplified before. Um, I've looked at um, uh, the Common English Bible before. Um, there's some different study Bibles I've looked at, um, but those are kind of the four that I go to usually if I'm if I'm really getting into something deep. So this is what I find interesting is is that you know we have this great value of multiple resources of translations to work from in english like in so many languages they don't they have one yeah. or maybe two um, but in english we have this tremendous resource of you know the ability to go and compare different translations to try to understand maybe a little more clearly 
how God is speaking about a topic. And um, I find that fascinating because it's it's a tremendous gift to us. And part of it's because the English language is so challenging. It's always changing. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's a language with a lot of limitations because of the way that it was created. Um, you know, whereas in the Greek, you get you get so much more clarity and so much more simplicity at the same time. Um, you know, in English, there's uh, there's just always a lot of limitations on things. But it also, because we do have these these different versions, it gives us an ability to really approximate more what God is saying to us. I think. Um, and so, what I what I've come to realize is, so many people like you, Jesse, are are not just looking at one version, but you're considering multiple versions and trying to really dig into it more deeply, which is something I've done. Uh, as well, so um, I'm, I'm I'm very much agree with you on that. <laughs> we we had uh, um, last night. We have uh, so the church I attend. We have a, a Wednesday night service. Um, it's I right. think this is generally the case. It's a much smaller service yeah. than like the the corporate Sunday setting. Yeah. Um, but what they do a lot of times it's it's more of a an intimate study, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> my pastor will bring on different people um he'll he'll have the associate pastor talk or our worship pastor did one um and then there's actually uh which i we just recently moved here and i wasn't aware that these individuals were were in the church um it definitely sparked in me uh i'm gonna try to sit down for lunch or coffee with them at some time but um this one that spoke last night uh he was actually talking kind of specifically on this topic um I'm looking around to see, I don't think I have my notes from last night, but uh, um, specifically about like how to actually like get in and study the Bible thoroughly. And he is a, uh, he was a professor. I don't remember what university he said, um, but it's a a theological like seminary type. Mm -hmm. Um, He was one in person, um, but then the last, I think like five, 10 years, he's, transition to now he's still a professor but he's teaching online but um he actually that's one of the things he brought up was um you know don't just look at one translation because you're going to get a better understanding of the the uh, the message is actually being um pushed by the original author if you look at multiple like specifically for that reason um you know it's it's difficult to translate uh, it's difficult to translate from two languages that are both alive and being used right now. But then when you go back to uh, a language that really is not even being spoken anymore, um, at least not to the level that it was, um, the culture is completely different. The, I yeah. mean, everything there, there's there's so many um, barriers that can be in the way. And so I don't remember what the scripture was that he pulled up, but he actually had like like nine or 10 different translations written there on the sheet that he had passed out. Um, hmm. And you could see very clearly. And I mean, none of them was like, you know, there's not one translation that says, Hey, here, uh, yeah. Jesus was a carpenter and here, you know, he was a, right. a, a barber or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no major differences, but I do think it can kind of help shed some light on, on some of the specifics when you're doing more of a deep dive uh, like that. Well, and, and translations get colored, I like to use the word colored, um, by the culture that they're, um, you know, translated for, by yep. the people that are translating them. Um, you know, we see that a lot, for instance, in the King James Version. Um, it, it has a lot of coloring to the way that it translates things that, that speak really very much to that, 
you know, Renaissance England period yeah. um, that are, they're kind of quaint to us today, but they don't really speak to us in a way that a more modern translation can. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm aware of the fact that, you know, there are some people who are, you know, King James only purists, and I would love to dive in and debate that another time. But <laughs> I, I used to be a King James purist, um, then I did a lot more research and came to understand that, you know, King James has its own challenges and and they're yeah. known they're they're very well-known challenges because of the age of the book um you know and a lot of people who are king james only purists don't realize how many times the the version was revised um, mm-hmm. to correct errors i have one of the earliest ones it's a it's a gigantic you know coffee table size one that was uh you know, probably from the, the Puritanic era. And um, <laughs> it's got illustrations and all kinds of things. And it's, it's a wonderful historic um, Bible. But, it, you know, as you read through it, you come to realize, oh, there's errors in here. And um, and that's simply because in, in the first and second version, they they were, you know, so few people doing so much work and without computers as we have today, um, they, they couldn't trace down all the errors until people started reading it and, and pointing out, by the way, did you know that, you know, the G- Geneva Bible says it this way and, and, you know, in Greek, it really means it that way, right. um, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, and it's a wonderful version. The King James Version has a lot of, of value to it that I like to tell people, if you're studying the Bible, you should always have one of the versions that you look at is the King James. Yep. We got um, a, and- a nice, succinct list of four from Jesse. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Uh, why don't you give us your list of four? Um, okay, so to do that, I think, you know... No, 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 to... just give us your list of four. <laughs> okay, so my list of four to, to begin with is I, I always use, during study, I use King James. Um, I don't use it for daily devotion, but I do use it for study. Uh, the second one is the NIV, um, and there are a lot of people who will poke holes in the NIV, but I think as a modern version, it's, it's very good in, in many ways, and I'll explain why in a minute. Um, the NASB is absolutely one I love, and then I've come to really appreciate the uh, contemporary English version. And the reason why is it's it's meant to be understood in a more conversational tone. Um, so the CEV is designed to speak to you in a way that you would have a conversation with a person, rather than right. focusing in on really rigid structure of, of the sentences. It's more fluid. So the 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 way to understand. Bible translations for our audience is there's kind of a spectrum of, of ways the translators look at how they do translations. You know, translating languages is not easy. It's a very complex process. And, um, you know, the Bible is written in three languages, primarily Hebrew and Greek, and then a little bit of Aramaic. Um, but primarily the Hebrew and Greek are the, the two keys. And those languages are radically different. Um, you know, Hebrew is a very nuanced language. There's there's less specificity, so there's more nuance because a word can mean multiple things. Um, and sometimes you read it and you're sure that it means both things that it can mean when you read the the, the you know the the passage in Hebrew. So it's sort of meant to have a double entendre in it. Whereas Greek is far more specific. It has an extra verb tense we don't use in English. Uh, it has um, you know almost as many words as we have in modern English, um, but they're a lot more clear and specific. They, they don't have the morphology that English has had over the last 500 years. Right. So you, you get some great um, things to understand between those two in terms of what God is saying, because one's very specific, one's more a, a little bit more nuanced. Um, but the, the way to translate is um, there's a, a spectrum of translation discipline, and it ranges from what you call formal equivalence, 
to dynamic equivalence. Formal equivalence is when each word has to have a specific meaning correlation into English. And the problem is that when you're looking at, you know, words in, in different languages, there aren't always specific one word equivalents in English. In fact, sometimes it takes an entire right. phrase to convey <laughs> right. what a single word can. Go ahead, Jesse. Oh, no, I, I was just, I was, I was agreeing with you. So, so that's more on the formal equivalents, um, which, you know, you'll see many uh, Bibles when they, they have, each Bible has a very, you know, significantly different, um, you know, definition for something in a single passage. It's often because that word doesn't have a single formal equivalence in English. So the, the translators try to explain it in, you know, in two or three or maybe a sentence. But then you have the other one, which is a dynamic equivalence. And the dynamic equivalence is when you're thinking more thought for thought rather than word for word. And the example I always use for this is the phrase home run. Now, if, um, if I told you, Jesse, that, you know, I got a home run today, um, that, that may seem pretty easy to, for you to understand if we're both baseball players. Right. But if you're a baseball player and I'm an electrician or I'm a salesman or I'm a teenage boy, the meaning of a home run can have radically different concepts because it becomes idiomatic. Right. Um, it's it's a it's a an exact statement if we're talking baseball, but it's it's becomes less and less exact if the context changes. And so that's what happens in many um, translations is we have to look at the context. What is the context of this passage about? to understand what the meaning of that word is, because sometimes, especially with the Hebrew, the meaning can be somewhat nuanced or, or sometimes very nuanced uh, and, and not having that dynamic equivalence. We have to understand what did they mean in the first century when it was written, or what did they mean, you know, 3,500 years ago when it was written uh, to really understand it? Because the key is, is that none of these books in the Bible were written directly to us. Right. We do believe they were written for us. God tells us that in the Bible, that these things were written for us, but they were written to other people. And so we really have to understand the context and, and the thinking of the people that it was written to, to really get a, an approximation of what it means for us. Now, I personally think it can be very clear in 99.9% of the Bible. There's, there's, to me, once you look at a good translation, it's not, it's not complicated to figure out what God is saying. Right. Well, I'm con I'm convicted that the Holy Spirit is with you when you pray. If you're praying to our Lord Jesus Christ, if Amen. you're praying to God, yeah. Yeah, I uh, totally yeah. then I think the Holy Spirit can be with you. Not always, you know. That's a, a you know, there there is no always ever uh, except God. <laughs> um, but still, for me, both when I uh, study the Bible and when I pray, uh, I'm seeking the Holy Spirit. That's how I approach it. That's how it feels to me. It's. Uh, an important consideration because I, I think that he gave us the ability and the curiosity to have all of these translations yes. so that we could be more effective in fulfilling the commission he put upon us. We can reach everybody. They've given us all the words. So uh, yeah. if you use them all, I think you just know the word better, which is what my goal is. Well, I want to disagree with you on one point there, Nick. You said it's mm -hmm. important, and I think important is not a, a strong enough word. I think it's vital that we pray before reading because this is a conversation with God. Um, you know, the Bible is a book that is given to us to transfer down through generations, and it's God's message to us. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is actively engaged in that even, even now. But, um, you know, it, opening yourself to, to invite him to teach you is really key. I don't think it's, I don't think it's important. Yeah, I mean, it's essential. I think it's essential. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I would agree. Uh, no, I was just saying, I would agree <laughs> with that. I think, uh, 
so I think, um, and this kind of, uh, I guess, goes in line with uh, the topic of like Bible translations and things like that. I think one thing that is is scrutinized a lot and it's an incorrect um, scrutiny. You know, we talk about all the different translations and things like that, and people compare it to like uh, a game of telephone. You know, you can't you can't know that it's actually true. Um, I did on our uh, on basically biblical. I did a I think it's a three part series on how we know the Bible is true. Cool. Yeah. Um, and actually went through um, several different steps um, on. So, I mean, there's there's a lot to it, but just the accuracy that's there and it's so give us some bullet points on that jesse because that's exactly where i wanted to drive to okay and so um so what i would say first um and i typically if someone says this to me i catch them off guard with my answer um <laughs> so I, i've had friends that have made comments or people just in 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 passing i would make a comment or they would make a comment that well you know the bible has errors in it and i'm like yeah you're right it does um and they they think i'm gonna go somewhere completely different um in which i tell them you know if you if you get in to look to this um there are errors but the errors don't make any difference in anything um one of the i think most consequential error or the, the most consequential error one of them anyways that is in there um i think there's i don't remember the verse um but it says uh Oh, there's one that says, but you were gentle among them, like a nursing mother with her baby. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's uh, another translation that says, but you were like infants among them. Um, And so, I mean, it's, you know, I I see where they they get that. And they're looking back at the original uh, manuscripts and they see these differences. Or like um, when the disciples are trying to cast out the demon and they can't, then Jesus comes up and does it. And uh there's some translations that say this type only comes out by prayer. And there's some that say this type only comes out by prayer and fasting. Yeah. Um, so those technically, yes, would be an error, but there's no like one translation says, Hey, here, Jesus died on a cross and here he got in a high speed camel accident or something like that. <laughs> um, there's high speed those, camel accident. They, I love it. they, they don't exist. Um, right. And so we, we can know with a very high degree of certainty that what we have now is what was intended to be written or at the very least the the idea that is being put through is the same as what was intended by the writers yes um, that's right amen and so like with that too um it's interesting too because just to bridge to that real quick yeah before I, and i hope I don't, I don't derail the rest of your point but one no, of the things good, that good. people don't realize is we have so much archaeology now that has proven yep you know, both events and word meanings. Uh, I mean, especially with the Dead Sea Scrolls now, we have mm-hmm. very ancient um, manuscripts that, it, you know, many people believe were copies of things that were a thousand years old uh, when they were copied. And, and the you know, when they were put in the jars in Qumran, they were already maybe 400 years old. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have, we have tremendous um, resources of really going back and looking deep in time with what the Bible said and its consistency through time to where we know yeah. that these manuscripts from, you know, what looked to be at least 2,500 years old are incredibly consistent with modern manuscripts and, and uh, you know, modern copies uh, so yeah. that there's, there's so, there's so little differentiation. It's, it's not even significant. It's, it's a speck in barking up my alley now. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I didn't want to derail you because you were making a great point, yeah. Jesse, but. 
I'll, uh, just to, to kind of finish that with, um, and, and it actually goes well with what you were just saying too, but um, looking at the number of manuscripts we have, and while you were talking, I actually just went and pulled up my uh, notes from that episode because I want to make sure I get these numbers right. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at all the ancient manuscripts we have for like really everything on Caesar, mm-hmm. there's 10 manuscripts total. Um, the writings of Plato, there's seven manuscripts total. Uh, the writings of Tacitus, there's 20 manuscripts total. And all of these are generally considered to be reliable. Um, so that's mm-hmm. 10, 7, and 20. And they have and variations if, between them. They're not all exact copies. Right. And then if you look at the New Testament, but there's those are those are also extant copies. Uh, yeah. They're, they're attested to and numerous. This is seriously my alley, too. Uh, and <laughs> I, I knew we were going to get the, there, Nick. <laughs> I, I use the uh, I use the same argument that you do, but also you have to understand that we're talking extant copies, and you threw around basically 500 years of history in mm-hmm. drawing that conclusion. While your point is still valid, you have to be careful with it because Plato, first of all, didn't write down his stuff on purpose, and right, he was right. 400 years 400 years before Christ. He was before Hanukkah. Uh, I mean, right. he was uh, yeah. seriously old. So I agree with you. I agree with the principle and the logic of what you're saying exactly in historical study. But also, you got to be careful when you use the arguments, because, again, Caesar's uh, causes belli or, or whatever it was called, uh, uh, the war, uh, Gallo, Gallo Bellico, I think is what it was called in Latin. His war of war against the Gauls, his tenure yeah. conquest of France. Right, and right. Uh, he, he, he wrote that, and there are only 10 extant copies of it you know, in the manuscript, but right. it, it was written of hundreds of thousands of times from his time forward. That book was like one of the most famous books in the world yeah, and not just because and it survived. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, so that's what I end up um, in that video. I, I kind of bridge to that. So I go through all of these and then I bring up that the new Testament, we have 24,633 manuscripts. Um, right. Well then the next closest is Homer's Iliad and we have 634. So there's almost a difference of almost twenty four thousand, um, mm-hmm. and then I go into how many that. how many how many Rig Vedas are there? Oh, that I don't have in my notes. Yeah. There's um, old old ones, not very many. And, and, it goes to your point. Yeah, and that's that's what um, the I think after I'm trying to remember. I think after I made that yeah after I made that point, the next thing I would have brought up was um, kind of what you were getting at there, Nick, with actually tying it back to. Okay, so we have these other manuscripts from other sources yeah. that we generally consider to be reliable that were well past the actual original um, date of, mm. of writing. Right. Whereas the New Testament, there's a lot of them we can date, um, especially I think the Gospels, we can date almost like with, with, with a very high degree of certainty prior to 70 A.D., and a lot of the reason is because I, I think it doesn't make sense for, um, you know, when Jesus is uh, talking, he says that uh, destroy this temple in three days and I'll raise it up. And he's prophesying the destruction of the temple that happened in 70 AD. So if you're writing the gospel down after that, why would you not include that to say, just as Jesus said it, you know, it happened. Um, and so there's, there's some things like that, that definitely push the writings of, uh, the gospels and Paul's letters and um, the rest of the epistles and things like that to be very, very close to the actual dates that they occurred 
or at least uh, definitely within the the life of the the people that actually lived it. Um, it and so you kind of you're kind of making a natural segue because there's one more study in the Bible. I think getting people into the Word, however we do it, I think that's just critical. And, oh yeah. Um, um, when you read the Bible, if you're if, okay, you've worked with a person, prayed with a person, provided a person with opportunity to read a Bible and they're open to it, um, and you've selected your version, uh, how do you advise them to read it? Gospel out or end to end, or another um, way? Assuming that they've they they're not familiar with the Bible at all. Yes. Okay. I would typically, if it's someone that I I I know has never gotten in the Bible at all. Um, the first book I typically recommend is that they start with the book of the gospel of John. Um, after John, I usually would recommend the rest of the gospels or maybe the book of Acts. Um, but just because I, the, the core of what they need to believe is found in the gospels. Um, Amen. and Amen. I'm not, I'm not saying, and I, I know there's, I have, I've, I've had this talk with people before and they've tried to, uh, take me out of context and say that, uh, well, you're saying that Genesis isn't important a revelation that no, I'm, I'm saying everything that's in there is in there for a reason. Um, it's supposed to be there and there's a purpose in it being there, Amen. but we have to get the fundamentals down before you want to start going out and looking at the other stuff. Um, wow, you are kindred spirit to me, brother. <laughs> it's interesting so because the you know from the Jewish perspective, what they would tell you is the Torah is the fundamentals, and I think mm -hmm. there's some degree of of truth to that. In that, you know, Paul says uh, in Romans three nineteen, I've forgotten the quote, but um, he explains that the purpose of the law or the Torah is to prove that we are guilty before God, yeah. right? To show the whole world that we're guilty before God. Um, the problem is today's, you know, readers don't have the patience to read Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? <laughs> That's, Genesis uh... and Exodus are pretty interesting, but you get to, you know, Numbers, Leviticus, and De Deuteronomy, and it, it loses even the most ardent student. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, the interesting part of it is, is that I think you're right. You have to tackle the person from, I don't mean tackle them literally, obviously, but, <laughs> but bring truth to them in a way that considers where they're coming from. Uh, because not everybody's going to read the book of John, you know, the gospel of John and really get it, right. uh, nor the book of Acts and really get it. Right. Um, but I think they're, they're definitely valuable depending on the mindset of the person. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. So, that's, so just to, to jump on what you said there real quick. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something I've recently, uh, let's say recently. Um, so I, I grew up in church. Um, my dad's a pastor. And I've, I've spent my entire and, life and you in church. survived it. Wow. I know it's great. Barely, barely. <laughs> my teeth. Um, but uh, so I've, I've always been very familiar with the Bible, with church, with, with all of it. Um, I mean, enough so that I, I did not have a relationship with God for, for most of my childhood. Um, and no one had any idea because I knew what to say. I knew what to do. I knew how to act and all that. So I never really did, uh, any type of a deep study or, or even just a casual read through a lot of these books, like you just mentioned, uh, Leviticus numbers did rod me. Um, and so that's something uh, a couple of years ago, I really kind of started feeling convicted about. And so I went through and I had tried to read Leviticus several times and it just like nothing happened. And it's because like, I would try to do a, you know, do the Bible in a year and I'd get started Genesis. It's like, 
boom, there's creation and there's all this stuff going on. And then you see like uh, the story of Abraham coming up and his descendants and it's like action, action, action. And then uh, you see Exodus. And again, it's just action, action, action. And God comes down and, you know, Moses gets to see him. And it's just all this like really exciting, awesome stuff. And then you get to Leviticus and it's like priests have to be this tall. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult to get through. But one thing that helped me, I actually did a little while back, uh, a deep dive into Leviticus and um, I came back to it and it, it kind of ties in with this, what we're discussing here as far as like the, the core being Jesus. But I, I did the deep dive, but I intentionally did it with the focus of looking for Jesus throughout it. Right. Yeah, and there you go. That was um, honestly probably one of the most intimate and emotional read uh, deep dives I've had of any book. Um, so I think I think if you can get the the focus down, if you can mm-hmm. get the as you can say the basics down of really knowing who Jesus is, what his purpose was, and then kind of take that as 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 a lens when you're looking at the rest of the Bible. I think you can you can actually get in and, and see a lot of the stuff that, that was intended to be, to be seen. We're actually looking at doing, uh, so, so one of the things we do on the channel is a, um, it's a, a very, very casual Bible study. And so we're working, actually working through the book of John right now. And it's, I saw that. Yeah. It's, it's very informal. Um, it's just uh, me and the, the people we have on us co-host. I'll read through. And then I'll stop and we'll just kind of discuss if uh, usually beforehand, all of us will uh, we'll read through and then we'll maybe listen to some commentaries or read some commentaries and uh, things like that, just to kind of maybe get our minds going in a different direction than what we've seen before. But I've actually we've been talking about we still have a ways to go because we're only in John two, I think. Um, but one of the things that I've talked to, to our group about is after we finish with John is doing a, a casual read through like that in Leviticus, but show people like going through and reading through it with that, that lens of finding Jesus in it. And that's the amazing part of it. When you get into Leviticus and you are um, looking at it with that lens, cause I've done the same thing. It opens the book up and it is oh, fascinating. Yeah. You know, the book of Leviticus is one massive book of codes uh, and if you begin to understand those codes, uh, you begin to understand the whole rest of the Bible in fascinating ways. Yep. Um, and I want to pivot uh, to something. So Jesse, I, I really appreciate everything you've been saying because it's very insightful. And um, you know, I love I love the more insights I find in the Bible, the more amazing it gets. Um, which leads me to a question that I really just I'm curious: How did you come to the decision? to start basically biblical as a podcast and, and as a, a website, what, what led to that for you? So I had been, um, for, for a little while, I talked about, you know, the last several years, I really started digging deep into my faith. Um, really kind of throwing off everything I had been raised with and reevaluating it. And so in the process of doing this, I started listening to a lot of different, um, podcasts on, on YouTube, things like that, you know, like, a lot of really good teachers. Um, I, I listened to a lot of Mike Winger, uh, Remnant Radio, Trinity Radio, if you guys are familiar. And I, I really like them. And I think they're they're good. And they present their stuff really, really well. But I felt like there was 
there was a lack of something that was meeting people and this is going to sound bad I, I don't intend it this way but at a low level you know somebody that does not have any familiarity with the bible or yeah. very very little but I, a I've, lot of those guys can get pretty heady and i agree with oh you yeah on that. yeah yeah um and that's i i think that's not necessarily a bad thing i do think there is a, a place for that but i think we need to have both and so that's where um you know i i've kind of I mean, like I said, I grew up in church and I've, I've kind of felt for a while that there's a lot of, you know, we get somebody into the church, they get saved and then it's like, Hey, great. Like you, you got saved. You're going to heaven now. Make sure you pay your tithe. Good luck. And there's needs to be so much more than oh, that. Oh yeah. You know, there's a whole look, adventure involved in this thing that so many people miss. <laughs> oh yeah. And if you look at, um, especially if I'm mean, looking at, this is what really, really got me started. And so it is right now a podcast. Um, my goal is to have it be something that um, is really in more than just the the podcast sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether that's um, you know me going places and, and talking to people, or coming up with like a study group material, or even having the material and the the videos and stuff like that that's free for a church that wants to to do um, uh, you know a, a a group on you know well why do we believe this and then like have content available for them so they don't have to go through and make it all um but looking at you know the the catholic church they do a lot of stuff to show the people why they believe what they believe and really raise them up so that they can have yeah a, a conversation with somebody um you see the same thing with uh, with the jewish uh community you see the same thing with the muslim community yeah. and then most christians it is barely barely surface level and yeah so in a lot of the uh the protestant um denominations they they miss that um training up process yep. yeah i agree and with it's you. it's so much like out of all of those groups if if we're the ones that that have the truth mm-hmm. why are we not equipping people with the truth yeah um, yeah the cults so, do a better job at, so so uh, discipleship right. people Go ahead. Nick. So discipleship's an important part of what you're trying to do. Is that what you're saying? Because that's right up the alley of where oh, we're yeah. going is building disciples yeah. amongst regular believers. Yep. And... Uh, disciple discipleship is is probably the main focus. Um, I do. I really. So I've always been kind of drawn to. Um, I don't. I don't want to say confrontation because again that sounds bad. But I, I like debate. I like um, kind of seeing ideas conflict with each other and, and seeing which one wins out. And so naturally getting into uh, theology and stuff like that, apologetics has been a real um, a draw to me. But I don't like the idea of just doing apologetics to like, hey, I'm going to show you that I'm right. Um, right. Yeah. I want to do use that as a tool to reach people. And so that's where I'll throw his name out there again, Trinity Radio braxton hunter from there he he was the first one i really saw talk about this but it's evangelistic apologetics mm. and so it's the you being able to answer questions that people have like peter says yeah yeah and and do it in a way that that points people to jesus you know i i talked uh we were talking a little bit beforehand about questions that people may have that if you get asked this question and you're you're shallow in your faith it may may really shake it, you know, things like, um, you know, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? <laughs> and then, you know, if, if you don't know how to dissect that and how to answer that, you're instantly going to start thinking, 
okay, well then the whole idea of God's a contradiction and then it can't be real. Right. Really. And so I've even, I've got, I've got, uh, so I've got four kids and and another one on the way and my congratulations, (laughs) congratulations. my, uh, my oldest are, uh, will be 13 in August, will be 12 in August. And then, uh, one that is 10 now. And so they, that's something else too. I've really brought them in on a lot of this. Mm-hmm. And so my, my kids at like 13 and younger are, are honestly probably better apologists than <laughs> a lot of people in the church. Um, and I've actually, like, if I come across stuff like this, I'll, I'll bring it up to them. I'll show them. So like this question, if I were to, my, my daughter is the oldest. Um, if I were to ask her or someone were to ask her, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? She would say, well, that's not an accurate question. It's actually two questions in one. You're asking, first of all, if there, if God can do anything, and the answer is yes. And the second of all, you're asking him if he can make a rock so big that he can't lift it. That'd be asking God to make something that can't exist. It would be like asking God to make a square circle. Um, God can't make it, but it's not a limitation on God. It's because that thing is a contradiction of itself. It can't exist by definition a circle i just saw that square yeah i just i just saw that argument in another video i troll the apologetics videos quite a bit just (laughs) saw that good job jesse on on bringing your kids into that kind of thinking um you know congratulations on that because i I really believe that that's that's a vital way of passing on the faith to oh definitely the next generation when you get out and start talking with people i've seen I've seen several times where someone who's a Christian and, and well-meaning, they'll go out and they'll try to start talking to somebody and they'll get asked a question they don't know the answer to. Well, their automatic response is they try to just think of something on the spot just mm-hmm. so it, it looks like I've got all the answers. But I think one of the most important things about this is to be okay with saying, I don't know. That doesn't mean that you're wrong. That doesn't mean that yeah. um, the question that they're posing is, is unanswerable it just means hey i haven't thought about that let me go look into it and then that actually gives you an opportunity to come back to them and and bring it up again and and have a second conversation an additional dialogue well and i think one of the things that's important to acknowledge to people is look i didn't become a christian because i have all the answers Right. I didn't become a Christian because I read all 31,103 verses of the Bible. Right. I became a Christian because God is real and he proved himself to me, period. End of conversation. Amen. Amen. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, my hope for you is, is that with your curiosity, you become the great Bible expert because God proves himself to you, but you got to seek God first. So yep. I, you know, because and where do you find tr- God? You find Him in the Word. You, you don't find, find Him, him word, in exactly. The, you don't find Him in the arrangement of your furniture. You don't find Him in the uh, <laughs> on, yeah, on the massage table. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, you find him in his word. Yeah, and, and he's word, definitely not captured in a crystal anywhere. So <laughs> the word is there. Uh, we have to feel comfortable in paraphrasing yeah. it, like Ian said earlier, into today's language. Yeah, That's how yeah. we'll reach the people. Uh, we'll get them into the chapter and verse. Where was that? I want to read that for myself. Right. Uh, yeah. But we've got to be able to speak to them, and that's the challenge for us. So again, I didn't mean to derail you there, Jesse, but I, it's something oh, I always try to, to point out to people, especially younger Christians, because they they can get a little bit tripped up um, thinking they have to suddenly, you know, answer that challenge. And the greater challenge yeah. is, I think, is, you know, what's, what's the point of your life? Why do you exist? Because I yeah. know why I exist. I've, I've found that. I've come to know that the, the creator of my existence. 
and and I'm satisfied with his reasoning for why I exist. But why do you exist? Because that's what really everybody's looking for is that answer of what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose I'm fulfilling in this world? Can I find a purpose? Does it matter if I exist? Uh, right. And and people, you know, they're asking those questions. And what comes aside. next? Yeah, what, what comes, comes next? next? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I think, ultimately with, I mean, there, so there's a, a lot of different things with apologetics, but yeah. ultimately that's what you're getting at. Um, people, most of the time, they don't, they don't have a question like that because they they've genuinely sat and thought of thought it through and like hey this is a real hang up i have like they've they've heard it right. somewhere um but if you can get past that first question or even the first couple of questions you can start really having some deep conversation and yep. that's where it comes up as uh you know like like you said everyone is looking for for a reason um you don't want to think that like there's there's absolutely no purpose like this is all just freak accident stardust bumping into each other and we're here um and i think that you know even even that desire itself speaks to a creator um it does there's just yeah there's well, the there's, whole idea of rational thought speaks to a creator i mean where did it come from if it didn't come from a creator exactly exactly <laughs> Um, so I'm not clever where, enough to have thought that up. Somebody else told me that, by the way. <laughs> that's pretty much everything that I have um, in my, uh, I'll say my apologetics toolkit is is from somebody else. But that's the good thing is a lot of this, if it's true, you don't have to change it. Yeah. Um, you just keep going with it. Well, there's two things I'd love to ask you about going forward. Um, because again, I'm, I'm really intrigued by your, your, uh, your podcast, Basically Biblical, and your website, basicallybiblical.com. I love the, the theme because to me, the Bible is is clear enough that we don't have to get esoteric about it, right? right. Um, now, some people love to, and I think God puts stuff in there for certain people to really get esoteric and really go deep and wide into, you know, uh, codes and, uh, you know, numerologies in there. And, and there's there's wonderful things that, that you can find because I, I think God is such an amazing creator and he's also an amazing writer that he puts things in there for us to be fascinated by. Right. Yeah. And sometimes they, they teach us things and sometimes they tell us like Nick was saying, what's coming next and whatever. But I think sometimes it's just there just to intrigue us, you know, like, why, why did God do that? You know, and I want to figure it out. Right. Right. Um, but you, you've got a couple of things here that I really, I, I just absolutely love. One of them is just your theme, basically biblical, um, you know, all things that really just help people establish themselves and understanding what God is communicating to us. But the other thing I like is, is that you're a little bit edgy. And I have to ask you about uh, your, your edgy little, uh, you've, you've reviewed here the uh, first exclusive interview of Lucifer on television. Um, now, yeah. I have to be honest with you, I didn't watch it. Okay. Um, but I'm intrigued that you would put that on there because it seems to me like you're really trying to appeal to a pretty you know, core Christian group. And I'm thinking that probably that's something that, that has gotten some ire from a few people. Yeah. So tell me about this interview with Lucifer. Um, so it was, uh, I forget the name of the, I think it was the, the YouTube channel I saw it on was, um, I think it's Ivan, the apologist or, or something okay. like that. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't somebody that I follow regularly. I just happened to come across it. But I thought it was interesting because he, uh, so as he's he's doing this this quote unquote interview, obviously you know it's it's somebody sitting there with like makeup on and yeah. a mask on and stuff. Right. But he's he's asking questions and it's 
he's he's speaking to biblical truth and he's doing it in a way that it's like uh satan is talking like he is on the campaign trail oh um and and stuff like this and i just like there's a couple parts of it that really like when i was watching it i'm like dang like just calling people out um and one of them was at the very end he does um uh he asks you know is there anything any closing thoughts that you have that you want to share with people and so lucifer says you know i want to thank my followers you're you're always there you're the real arms and legs of, of my administration and he said secondly i want to thank the church because without you just sitting on your hand like i don't remember the exact words but sitting on your hands and having these discussions that don't really matter and just staying in the church. If it wasn't for you doing that, I wouldn't be able to do nearly as much as, as what I am am getting done. And I'm like, that is, I mean, shots fired. They're calling people out. Um, (laughs) And it's even, I I think it, there's, there's, I've, I've said this a few times. So we did um, with, uh, Oh, the month of June, um, you know, it's celebrated as, as pride month. Um, mm-hmm. we actually did, I called it truth month. And so the entire oh, month, good. um, I, I pushed back content that we already had scheduled yeah. and I intentionally, like we, we just went at that whole, uh, idea. Um, we did an interview with, there's a, a girl named Cameron Robinson who actually, uh, had socially transitioned, um, to a male and then she ended up uh, by the grace of God her parents got her back in church and she realized that it was that was not right um, I did an interview with her we did uh, several other other things like that you know the the whole idea that people see us speaking truth as as mean and and hurtful right. and negative yeah. and but really and I've actually I know atheists that they they don't take offense to me saying, that I, I think that they're going to go to hell unless they, they make this decision. And the reason why is because they get that my view, mm-hmm. even if they disagree with it, they get that my, my thought is that if they don't have a relationship with Jesus, then they are going to go to hell. And so logically, I would want them to not go there. Now, they can disagree with me on that. But they still the respect that okay if you really believe that you're going to be telling people about it exactly and I and think so- that's one of the things that we lose sight of is you know um, for when I first became a believer what really got me angry was as I began to really understand the gospel I got angry that nobody had told me yeah I was I was in my you know mid twenties before I first heard the gospel and I thought why isn't anybody telling people about this right you know? right and that's there's just I I've made the comment before, but if, if you're a Christian and you really believe this, you really believe that there's an, uh, an afterlife where you spend eternity and that there is a heaven and there is a hell and you're going to spend forever in one of them. And you don't tell people about that. Yeah. You are literally like the worst kind of person. Like that's, I just, it, if you, and I think that's what a lot of, I think well, there's a unfortunately, lot of, there's an apathy that's bred of certain teachings, you know, certain yep. groups are teaching things that, um, you know, try to persuade people that it's all fatalistic anyway. And yeah, you know, I don't see God showing us that I'm pretty sure God is showing us that, uh, what we do and say matters, uh, yeah. and, and we're part of the solution or we're part of the problem. Yep. I would <laughs> agree. Know? And I think that there's, there's a lot of Christians that, 
they really, really view church as more of a social club than yeah. than anything else. And it's I got my friends. We're good. We're happy. Yeah, the world um, can go to hell, but I don't care. Right. <laughs> which, which which committee are you on? Which <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you helping which organize. Well, there's the decorating committee or the sound system committee, you know, (laughs) (laughs) there's a, uh, oh, I don't remember where I saw it. I think it was on, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dr. Michael Brown. Yes. Um, Yeah. He's good. I like him. He, he had, he had somebody on and they were talking about specifically, I think they were talking about abortion, but he had brought up a quote. I don't remember who originally said it, but it was that uh, there should be a sign in front of every Planned Parenthood and abortion clinic in the nation that says open with permission from the local church. Because if every Christian who says that they think that is wrong mm-hmm. actually took a stand and did something about it, yeah. it would basically be gone overnight. I agree. The, the sad part is, is we lived in a community for a while where we, we became convinced that um, one of the local uh, leaders of, of one of the churches in town was also a leader in the local public high school. Uh-huh. And, and we're pretty sure that he was driving girls to the, the abortion clinic. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, when I, when I first came to that realization, it, it just, it hit me in the gut so hard Would somebody who actually claims to believe the Bible, believe God would actually drive high school girls to the abortion clinic. I, I couldn't yeah. believe it. And so that's, that <laughs> well, there's a there's another aspect along that line. It's not as severe as the uh, uh, abortion holocaust. Uh, you can challenge your brothers and sisters too. You know, did you bring a guest? How many times last year did you bring a guest? Yeah. You know, how much time outside of church do you spend sharing the goodness of God with other people? Exactly. Uh, you know, and it, that doesn't have to be defined. It could just be a chat on the on the street and you know with your neighbor. Right. It's uh, uh, what do you what are you doing every day? He didn't say go preach the word to each other in church on Sunday. He said, go right. share the good news with all the nations. And yeah. So and that's yeah. not the, that's not your pastor's responsibility either. Right. Yeah. He's supposed to strengthen you to do that. Yep. To be yep. able to get it done. One of the things that we, um, we believe here uh, at mission 1711 and uh, on the brothers at breakfast podcast is, you know, we believe that what you do online should not be different from what you do in, in person in public. Right. You know, your, your public life and your online life and your private life should be the same. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes, you know, and you probably do this too. We do a little bit of internet evangelism on, you know, different sites and social media places, but I like to challenge people, you know, are you out here to actually win the lost? Or are you out here to win an argument? Right. Uh, because, you know, one of those has eternal reward and one of them doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's get busy, folks. Right. Um, there's lost people all around us and they and they need to know the message. So, yeah. And, oh, and I, the, the argument is bringing people to him. That's what the argument is. Yeah. Yep. So. Well, you know, you've got some great stuff out here, Jesse, and I, I really appreciate the chance to talk with you about it. I know we'll be digging into your stuff more, um, you know, over time and, and taking a look at what, you know, what you're saying and and how you're doing. I love that you're interviewing with other people, uh, that you're bringing young people into it. I see that you've got that. Um, so I think there's some there's some great stuff that I have seen on your site and on the on the, the, the podcasts that are showing. But I wanted to give you kind of a chance to just wrap it up today with, um, you know, what do you see as really the key next step for you 
as you know, an online minister of sorts or an online evangelist or apologist, what, where do you want to go next and how do you want to impact uh, the world through your, your program? The next steps for me is kind of really just digging into a lot of the teaching. We just recently moved uh, across the country. <laughs> so I haven't been able to uh, really dig in and, and teach on some of the topics that I've been, I've been wanting to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I discussed with you guys before we got started, I just uh, a couple nights ago did a, um, a, a an episode on the Trinity, which ended up being, I think it was like an hour and 30 minutes, or an hour, 40 minutes. Um, and it's just, there's no conversation. It's just me uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> talking through it. And so um, the next thing for me, really, like I said, I, I think is digging in on a lot of that teaching and, and trying to find ways to kind of push that out to others. And I, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be the only one uh, by any means in this space doing it. Uh, I think, you know, when I, uh, I think when, when we originally got started talking, I had posted in a group and one of the purposes of doing that was I want to, to try to kind of build a, a community um, around like this whole idea, like the, the podcasting, Christian podcasting. And I know there are some groups and stuff out there. What I'm thinking is more of a kind of, I guess, tighter knit community or group or things like that, where, you know, we talked about, uh, I think it was Nick made a comment about, you know, not being afraid to call people out. And I think that we see this on, on such a large scale, um, with a lot of, uh, pastors and like mega churches and things like that, where their, their ministry starts growing. And then eventually like there, it's just an echo chamber. They're not hearing anything from anybody unless it's positive. And then we see like a, a massive moral failing or something like that. Right. Um, or they just, they start going way off the reservation on theology and preaching stuff that is not accurate, even heretical. And so what I'd like to do, I, I want to keep pushing out content for people, but actually make it to where there's, there's some kind of accountability and, and structure in, in uh, <clears throat> the, the Christian podcast community. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I like you know, that. Oh, no, you, you, you're onto something there. <laughs> you know, yeah. even like, like, yeah, I'm not saying like somebody that sits and watches every single video that I put out. There's a, a group of people that you're, you're kind of close with tight knit something like, let's say I, I, I have a video and it looks like it's kind of like, eh, like maybe a little problematic. Um, and you watch it and I say something that I probably shouldn't have said. And then, uh, you know, we reach out like, Hey, Jesse, you know, you put this video up and I, I don't think you really should have said that this way or, or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, but kind of making sure that as, as uh, our, our content keeps going and, and grows and reach more people setting it up for success long-term, because there's, there's been things I've seen too. And this is something else I'm, I'm pretty passionate about was uh, like you mentioned, Ian, I'm not, uh, I'm not afraid to be a little edgy. I'm not afraid to step on people's toes. I think, uh, especially when it comes to people in the church, I think that's the, yeah, the, that's a good thing. Right. I mean, I think we need to keep, like you're saying, keep people accountable, keep ourselves oh, accountable. Yeah. Um, I'm much more concerned about accountability <laughs> among the, the faithful than trying to force it on somebody else. Right. Because our, our message is to call people to repentance, right. which means to call them to turn to Jesus. Uh, right. and, and not to, you know, people debate about this, about judging and whatever. Look, I'm not here to condemn anyone. Jesus, made that clear his his ministry yep. 
was not condemning anyone. It's to call people out of darkness into light. And, uh, and in order to do that, sometimes we have to step on the toes of the religious because there are a lot yeah. of religious people out there that are, are preaching falsehood. You know, they're, they're doing it for various reasons. Uh, you know, some of them are trying to build their own kingdoms. Uh, yep. We see a lot of that. Some of them are, are you know, they've gotten addicted to sensationalism. Uh, you know, we see a lot of that. But a lot of them are cults that are just simply unaware of the truth. They, they have yeah. not, you know, they're, they're like the people in, in the book of Acts where um, Paul said, hey, you know, you've heard of the, the baptism of John, but did you hear the baptism of Jesus? And they're like, right. no. Okay, let me, let me correct you here a little bit, help you understand what really came next, okay? Right. And, and then he prays over them and they receive the baptism of the Spirit and all that. And so the, uh, the, the point I think sometimes is we have to discern you know, a lot of times we're, we're discussing these matters with people who simply, they're unaware, they're uninformed, they're ignorant to, to use a word that can seem harsh, but they're right. ignorant of truth. They just haven't come to understand it yet. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where we need to have a willingness to call out, especially, yeah. you know, if, if you're in a community, whether it's something like, like what I've been talking about, or even in a local church or whatever, yeah. you need to have a willingness to stand up and speak out, especially if you know you're speaking on truth. Right. But the flip side of that, you need to make sure that you're humble enough that if humble somebody speaks exactly. out that you're, you're, yeah. and, and so. Cause none of us is Jesus, right? Jesus right. had the ability to uh, you know, call people out with authority because he had right. the truth. He is. And that's where, you know, I, I can say something, I can tell somebody they're doing something wrong, but Jesse doesn't have any authority right. whatsoever. Yeah. But if I'm going to, if I'm like, we had a, um, Oh, so there was a previous church I was at, there was some issues, um, with the, the pastor, um, and it wasn't anything like major, uh, it was no moral feelings, <laughs> right? No moral feelings or anything like that. It was more, uh, kind of how he was going about different things. Um, and there was, it, it was just problematic and it was something that very clearly uh, you could, you could refute in scripture. Yeah. And so I just like, I, I flat out told him like, Hey, look, this is wrong. And he didn't agree with me at first. And so then I took him right back to scripture. Um, and then he ended up kind of seeing what I was talking about, you know, having, knowing that you have that authority to stand on, it's not your own authority, but then being open to other people's criticism too, you know, take everything back to the word, take everything back to the, uh, you know, the Holy spirit. And it's, it's a fine line. Um, be open to criticism, but also, you know, don't like just completely shift everything you're doing. Anytime anybody says anything. Well, we have to be humble enough to receive correction and humble enough to, to always be learning. I don't think anybody really is at a point where we can say uh, we know it all. You know, right. I feel I feel pretty confident in most of my understanding of the Bible, but I I never sit and think, well, I know it all, and I don't have to listen to anybody else's correction or guidance. I mean, I sit under the the authority of another pastor. He's he's you know just a little bit older than I am, but he's been in ministry for almost forty years. Uh, you know, he has insights to the Bible that I don't have because he's been ministering to a much larger body of people for a much longer period of time. Right. And, uh, you know, I humbly listen and, and accept training from him. And you know, what's really cool. Occasionally he does the same with me <laughs> right. because he has the humility of spirit to say, you know, okay, I see you might see this a little differently. And why is that? Right. right? And so I think we all have to have that attitude, but I agree with you. And I, I and I love the idea of having, um, a bit of an accountability process among those of us that are out here, because let's face it, 
um, we're a different breed, you know, we're a different generation. Um, you know, the, 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 the pastor that I sit under, um, you know, he's, he's not out doing online ministry, right? Right. He's, he's, uh, he's working with the real people in, in his own town. And, you know, he's, uh, he doesn't have time for this. Let's just put it that way, <laughs> much right. less the interest in, in, in mastering it. So. Right. And that's where um, <clears throat> I think it's uh, Matthew um, where it says you need to be uh, innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. Exactly. Um, I mean, that it speaks true. Um, that rings true. I guess not speaks true, yeah. but um, you know, that's, there's just, there's, there's such a fine line. Um, and that's why you need to need to have others that are, that are assisting you with that. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, 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 there's so much we can talk about. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you're tackling these things and hey. that you're not shy uh, from the hard topics. Go ahead, Nick. Uh, well, I just want you to do us a favor before we sign off because we're running yeah. up against time here. Yeah. Uh, do me a favor and plug all of your platforms that you'd like people to look at. Okay. Um, so uh, I think I said at the top, there's um, all of YouTube is really our primary target right now. Um, so all of our stuff like on you've YouTube. got 58 videos going out there. So you're, you're producing a good amount. Um, yeah. So we've got, yeah. we've got the YouTube. I do put stuff on rumble as well, just basically because the nature of what we're talking about, there's a chance that stuff's going to get taken down and I want mm -hmm. it to still be up. Yeah. Um, so I do put stuff on rumble and then we have, uh, it's all the same content. It's just audio only on Spotify and Apple podcast. Um, Aside from that, we have the uh, website. Um, there is, uh, and I don't think I'd, I'd mentioned this to uh, you guys previously. Um, I have uh, published a book. Um, it's called uh, How to Fail at Practically Everything. It's <laughs> on Amazon. And it. Okay. It, it legitimately started off as a self-deprecation project. Um, and then I ended up like, it's what it is. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's a look at failure, looking at, uh, each chapter, I look at something from my personal life. I look at something from a uh, a biblical character, and then I look at something from a like a either a celebrity or somebody like a famous historical person or something like that. Um, but that's available on Amazon, and there there should be a link to it on the website. That should be everything. I'm actually I am working on. Uh, and the and the book is titled "How to Fail at Everything" by Jesse Lucas. Uh, How to fail at practically everything. Practically everything by Jesse Lucas. Yeah. Okay. I am kind of working on a, um, I guess you could call it like a, a fantasy story. I really like C.S. Lewis and a lot of his, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia were like legitimately, I think, the only books that I read in middle school. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, his taking christian themes and putting them into a story that was just kind of fun to read and you know anybody that really gets into apologetics one of the first people you usually read is is c.s lewis but uh so i am working on that but that's that's a, a very much a side project that doesn't make a lot of headway with everything else that's going on so um that would be my uh i guess my main outlets and then we're on social media um we've got facebook instagram and twitter as well yeah, I've been following your uh, your Facebook page, um, and uh, that's that's a pretty robust page you've got going there. Now, yeah. I don't get on Twitter a lot these days, um, but I wanted to just see are you are you producing content on Twitter consistently, or is it just sporadically? Um, what do you use that for? I, I try to uh, pretty much all the social medias is more for um, kind of pushing the the YouTube content. Okay, there is um, like I'll make I make 
I may make posts and things like that um, mm-hmm. uh, occasionally that come out, and those will be across all, all of them. Um, so really, if if you're on one, you're going to be seeing pretty much everything that comes across. Okay. Um, like I think I did. I, I had one that came out Saturday. Um, it was kind of talking about the difference in what I would consider tertiary issues, secondary issues, and primary issues. Mm, okay, um, that's a great topic. Yeah. So, like, I think for um, a tertiary issue, I think I said uh, that's a topic that it's you know it, we can disagree on, and it makes no difference. Like, we can still fellowship together and 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 everything. It's fine. Yeah. A secondary issue, I would still maybe cons- I'd still probably consider you a brother but it may be an issue that's big enough that it would cause problems if we tried to fellowship together at the same uh, church. Yeah. Um, and then primary issue. And I threw in a little bit of humor there. Uh, I said that an example of a primary issue, uh, it would be something that's related to salvation. So, um, you know, if someone said that the Lord of the Rings is not the greatest piece of cinematic work ever made. Um, and then I, you know, clarified and uh, brought it back to actually being about salvation and stuff like that. But I try to, um, I try to be real and, and try to definitely keep my head out of the clouds as far as like the really <laughs> lofty stuff and bring it down to a, um, just an everyday a, a layman's terms. That is brilliant. I love it. Um, thank you for sharing it with us, Jesse, and, and for being part of the Brothers at Breakfast program. Yeah, um, we uh, we would love to have you back again. And, you know, we'll probably feature some of your work along the way with uh, some of our groups as well. Um, I just, I love everything you're doing. So, uh, you know, God bless you. And, and, uh, we just like to pray for your, your program and, you know, for your work, um, people get confounded by the word ministry. I'll call it ministry, but let's say mission, uh, your <laughs> mission to reach people. Um, so we just love to do that and, and, yeah. and, you know, put, put some blessing on you. So father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for your greatness, your kindness, your, your holiness, and, uh, for your grace, Lord. And we pray that you would, um, impart all of that into Jesse more and more, uh, as he is is building his online mission, his personal ministry to uh, to reach and teach and uh, empower people to walk with you closer, Lord. We thank you for the adventure that you've given us of knowing Jesus, following him, and being part of the team of what you're doing in this world, Lord. We just pray for Basically Biblical, all the people that work with Jesse behind the scenes, and all the future content. Please guide him, lead him, and give him awesome opportunities to reach people in Jesus' name. 